just a great way to cap off as we were partaking of the Lord's table. That's love, and we've seen it demonstrated in Christ. And so it leaves us with no excuse. And we are not left without a pattern for our lives and how we are to live. As we get into this next section in chapter 11, I'm going to go a little bit back on what we had discussed and what we had proclaimed and preached last week. We look and see now as things begin to mount up. See, we think when things are going well, everything should be going well in our lives. In other words, when I'm having a good run on my job, then that should mean I'm having a good run at home and I'm having a good run on my health. I'm, I'm having a good run with my finances. We want it all to work um, really together. We, we want some things to be happening all at once. And, and, and if one thing seems to be out of order, if one thing doesn't seem to be rolling well, we forget the other four or five that God is doing in our lives and we seem to concentrate on the one area that's not going as I want. And I'm not going to say that's not going well because what may be happening, God may be ordaining. It may be right in the center of his will. It's just that it's not what I would will it to be. And so, and so one of the things that we're going to look at today is, is this whole deal of the greatness of the kingdom um, and really looking at really the, 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 the judgment of those who rejected. We see Jesus is now coming at the height of his popularity. But right along with it, his opposition is about to begin to ramp up, culminating, of course, we know later on in his death. But now, as his popularity has risen... As things are going well in that area for him, there's another area coming right up beside him that is going to press in on him and his disciples now. He knows it's going to happen because he knows that he's dealing with the sinful hearts of man. He knows us. If you read in John earlier in the book of John, it says that he knew what was on the hearts of men. So he knew that the opposition was ramping up. He knew that the crowd was going to be fickle and those, soul, and those same people that were screaming his name would be cussing his name soon. See, we don't know that. And we think because we got a good run in one area, that means all areas will have a good run. And boy, when it doesn't look like it should be, then I'm getting mad and I'm angry and I'm questioning and I'm wondering what the Lord is doing when all along it is right in his plan. Now we've seen up until this time, we've seen up until this time that when Jesus sends out his 12, he warns them of what he's sending them into. And as he warns them what he is sending them into, it is so that it will not be this cold slap in the face when it happens, but that indeed it would be something that for them, <clears throat> they would have known that it would have happened. I shared this story, I believe, in Bible study. I want to sh share it again just as an example. My oldest son um, played ice hockey when we were in Switzerland for several years, and one practice, I got there early before they ended because they practice outside in the wintertime, and I'm like, 
I'm from people that are from the Southern Hemisphere and that that whole cold thing, standing out in the cold for over an hour, I'm watching folks skate back and forth was not my thing. So I would show up at the beginning of hockey practice. I would go to the coffee place they had right next to the, because every ice skating read had a coffee shop right next to it. I love how they did that. I would go, I'd come back out and check on them and I'd go back to the coffee shop and I'd come back again until he could start going to and from practice on his own. But on this particular day, I got there early and when I got there, they were doing something bizarre in my mind. They were doing something bizarre. They were in full gear. You've seen players with hockey, the, the, the helmet, shoulder pads, you know, they have the girdle and everything else. And they're skating and as they were skating, the coach would blow the whistle and as he blew the whistle, they would flip. They would they would go down on the ice, flip. We're talking about ice. We're not talking about a trampoline. To my eye, not talking about the grass, but to my eyes, they would, at the whistleblower, they would flip fully over, up, back on their skates and get back up and skate again. Next whistle, boom. And I looked at that and I was like, what on earth are they doing? I was like, that is, did someone forget they were on ice? And so I go up to one of the parents who I knew spoke English and I said, to them, what are they doing? And I, I said, well, well, I know what they're doing, but what are they doing? And he says, they're doing this exercise because they have to know how it feels to fall and hit the ice. Because if they don't before a game, the first time they fall, they're not getting up because they don't know how it feels. It will be, it will be a shock. And so that whole drill was to get you to know how it felt when you hit the ice because you were going to hit the ice especially at that age. He was eight or nine years old. They were going to hit the ice. And boy, that was just a lesson that over the years just reminded me. When Jesus told these disciples what he told them about the environment they were going to go into and he was dropping them into, when he told them all of what, he would, what they should expect, when he gave him all of this information, what he was doing was preparing them so that when it happened, it wouldn't be a slap in the face. They would go, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. Now, it would still be hard. It would still hurt. It would still may even cause them to take a step back, but, but, but it wouldn't cause them to quit. Why? Because they were expecting it. Jesus was into preparation. And guess what? He's still into preparation today. And he's given us his word so that when it happens, we're not angry at him. We're not mad and asking God, what are you doing? Why me, God? What is this for? I thought you loved me. If you loved me, you wouldn't let this happen. And we go on into all the different things that I've said and that you probably have said, forgetting forgetting what he has told us and what he's prepared us for. So as we get into chapter 11 now, he now takes them from that, I'm sending you out and preparing you to dealing with, from, 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 from that to, to telling them about the greatness of the kingdom um, as he looks at the significance of John, but also wants to look at the context of, with the, of, of which the kingdom will be in. So again, that they're not surprised at what they see. Jesus is in the preparing you and I so that as we are out there and as the kingdom is growing and expanding, we know to expect that opposition is walking right along with us and it is exactly as God has planned it. There's nothing wrong. We're not doing something crazy. Now, we may be, 
We may do some crazy things, but, but, but God knows how in his sovereign will to cause his plan to work in the face of opposition. Opposition has a way of causing us to wonder, doubt, and maybe take a step back and go, God, is this really what you wanted? God, is, is, is this Christian thing really what I'm supposed to be in? Is, is, is this coming to church? Is this following you? Is this reading my word and praying? Is this, is this walking with integrity all of what it's supposed to be? Because what I'm getting back at me was what I, I, I didn't think I would. That's what John was dealing with. And that's why John questioned. John knew Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. I mean, come on, that was his cousin. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. That was his cousin. And as far as Jesus' earthly life, six months older than him was John. It's not much. I got cousins that are six months older than me and that we grew up together and hung out. And for me to come along and say, dude, are you who you say you are? Or, 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 or should I be expecting someone else? He would look at me. He said, come on, man, this is me. What are you talking about? The issue was John knew exactly who Jesus was. But as we saw last week, Jesus wasn't doing what John thought a Messiah should be doing. He wanted more judgment. He wanted more response from Jesus, and thus he was confused. Add to that, John was sitting in prison for doing what was right. That'll really get you going. That'll really start your questions. God, I thought if I did what was right, you would honor me. God says, I am honoring you. You're going to go out just the way I planned it. I, I didn't plan for me to go out like this. I know you didn't. I know you didn't plan for life to be like this. I know you didn't plan for things to go this way. I know you didn't, but I did. And you are no less my child. You are no less in the center of my will and my, and, and my mission. John was no less on mission and in the right way of God because of his situation and circumstances. And so with that, you say, wow, that was one long introduction. It was. With that, can you stand with me as we read chapter 11? Y'all thought I forgot. He's like, is he going to pray? No, I didn't forget. Now, I'm going to deal with more verses than we have here, but I wanted us to be able to read this. Let's read together in the centerfold of your bulletin, Matthew 11, verses 7 through 12. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Father, may we understand and thus follow and thus be transformed by 
the reading, the preaching, and understanding of your word. In Christ's name, amen. amen. You may be seated. The significance of John and the greatness of the kingdom. We get here now to verse 7, and I alluded to this some last week. After they leave, as, his, as John's disciples are returning now to John to tell him what Jesus had told him and to show him what Jesus had showed him, understand this. This is critical. Understand this. What they did not get was news that John was getting out of prison. As a matter of fact, the verse that Jesus generally alluded to that comes out of Isaiah, there's a part of it that says, you know, in other words, you know, the lame will walk, the blind will see, you know, the poor will have the good news preached. And it also talks about that the prisoner will be set free. Jesus chose not to use that. I wonder why. We don't know, but there, was, there would be no thought at all that John would get out of prison. See, but here's the deal. John had accomplished his mission. And as God had him complete his mission on earth, God was ready for him to end that mission. And see, you and I, I know we do, we have an issue with that. I don't want God to determine the length of my time and my mission. I want to determine that. I want to be able to say it's time to go, not for God to be able to say that, because I have some things that I still want to do. I remember today watching TV, one of these preachers on TV who was totally wrong, stood up and said to the group that, was, that he was talking to, he said, I decide when I die. He said, that's how it should be. And I thought, wow, you one bold dude. He said, I will just lay down one day and decide to die. I was like, good luck with that. You may lay down and die, but you probably didn't decide that. The issue was God is the one for the believer who is in control of his or her lifespan and life's mission. And that's a comforting place to be. For some of us, we go, well, well, well what if God wants to cut it short? Did you just hear yourself? <laughs> but, 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 but I got plans. Did you just hear yourself? And when we're all faced with some sort of challenge, when we're faced with something that will, that will, um, that will put in question um, where I want to be or what I'm going to do, we step back and we go, wait, God, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. We like to pull a Hezekiah, can you give me 15 more years? As if that's what God ordinarily does. That was an exception, and God had a plan with that. But the deal becomes God is in control of the mission, and so he sends back his disciples. But then he turns because, you know what, the crowd might have thought, and, and there is some thought that the crowd began to question not only the ministry of John but the ministry of Jesus. Why did they start to question it? In part because of what was happening to them. See, the society is the same way. They think that if you're rolling good in one area, you should be rolling good in all of them, that there shouldn't be any problem, that, that, that if you got it right, if you, are, if you are handling your business correctly, everything is going to go well. You and I know better than that. And if you don't know, live long enough and you realize you can be doing everything right and it seems like everything is going wrong. 
and you start to scratch your head and you start to wonder, is this what God wanted? And as God, a God of preparation does, he sits us down. He says, look, I know, I know everything. He, he talks about, I am the Lord. I know the end from the beginning. God knows how your life and mine will play out. As a matter of fact, he knows how it's going to end. I don't want to know, Lord. He gave it to Peter. Remember when Peter was walking at the end and, and he told Peter, you're going where you want to go, but when you get old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. He said, they, in essence, they're going to do to you what you don't want, and you'll have no option with it. And John wrote in it that they were talking about the way that Peter would reach his end. I don't know that Peter had a clue. He might have because he asked, well, what about John? And in essence, Jesus says, none of your business. Because he says, what is it to you if I have him stay around until I return? And see, the issue just becomes, I love this, although it doesn't feel good all the time. God is in control of your life's mission and your lifespan. And we have to come to the point where we're okay with that. When we put our life in his hands and trust them to that degree, then we can rest. I'll never forget the time. I, I, flying still is not my most, it's my favorite um, way to get somewhere quickly, but I'm not like just enthusiastic about flying. My wife, she's not here this morning, she's at an event out of town, but my wife loves flying. She's the kind that like, like, like she can get on, she's gotten on with a friend who's now a pilot for one of the major airlines. She's um, gotten on a two-seater plane. I was like, you would have to do a Mr. T with me to get me on a two-seater. And for those of you that don't know Mr. T, they had to knock him out, put him to sleep, drug him to get him on a plane because he didn't like it. You would have to give me something hard, anesthetic, anesthesia-like to get me on a two-seater because I don't like flying that much. And I remember flying on a plane one time, coming here to visit my then fiancé as I was coming from New York, and I was on this plane, and for the whole trip, stayed in the clouds as it was a storm that was coming, that, that was coming north, and we were going south, because I had to go to Virginia first, which I didn't understand that, to get to Indianapolis. And so we stayed in there, and that little 30-seater, that might as well have been a two-seater, bounced like I was on a horse in a rodeo the whole hour and a half. And I'm telling you, the only reason why I didn't kiss the ground is because I had a little bit too much pride in myself when we got off the plane because we got off and not going right into the terminal off on the tarmac. And I really, I did as I got off, I had every thought to just to kneel down and kiss it because <laughs> I didn't like flying. But I remember talking to my grandmother, one who lived to be 102, and talking to her about that same story. And she told me, she said, "Hun." I used to be so afraid of flying. And she said, one time I was on this flight that was just crazy. And she said, I thought it was going to drop out the sky. I was like, so what did you do? Because I was on a flight like that. <laughs> Scared the life out of me. As a matter of fact, I didn't get back on a plane for a little while. And she said, I'm sitting there. And it just dawned on me. I'm a follower of Christ. She said, my life is in God's hands. 
And she said, and if God, if you choose, this is how I go, then I'm cool. She said, I relaxed and eased up. And she said, I enjoyed the rest of my flight. And I said, Grandma, that, that's some great wisdom. It still took me a while to get there. I said, but that's some great wisdom. She said, here's the deal. My life is in God's hands. I'm fine. And whatever he brings my way, I'm trusting him. And when he says, time to go, she says, I'm ready. That was the same grandmother last time I saw her. The month before, she went home to be with the Lord. I don't know, she wouldn't remember the airplane story. I went over to the house where she was and, and, and stood at the door, and she was there sleeping. And, and one of my aunts had awakened her that I was there. And she looked at me, and she was in her full mind at 102, mine better than mine. And she called me over to the bed. And when she did, I just remember and quoted what she said. She grabbed my hand firm, and she said, son, she said, um, she said, my house is in order. I know my Lord, and I'm ready to go. And in my mind, first thing I was thinking was, not right now, right? <laughs> but the issue was that same confidence in God was there. Why am I sharing this? Because as we look at this story, to understand what Jesus is saying about John and about what we should get from it is first couched in the fact that he has your life in his hands if you are a follower of his. And even if you mess up, he doesn't throw you out. He knows how to handle you. Even when we are rebellious, he knows how to handle a rebellious child, just like y'all know how to handle rebellious children. He knows what to do perfectly to get us where he wants us to be. And if we still refuse, he knows how to bring us home to save our soul. See, the issue becomes God knows fully who we are and where we are. And so what we share here isn't as hard, although it's uncomfortable because it goes against human nature. And so when we look here at that verse, he says that he says to them, I don't want you to have any thought at all. I don't want you to think anything was wrong with John or that I was throwing John under the bus because he says to them, what did you go out to see? Notice he didn't say, who did you go out to see? He said, what did you go out to see? And as a matter of fact, the emphasis is on what it took for them to go out because he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? So it took great effort, great intention for them to make the trip from whatever outlying town that they lived in to go to the wilderness where John was. He says, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind and the understanding there is of a reed shaken in the wind is moved around by the wind and is unstable, is weak. It is blown all over the place. That is the thought there culturally that he was giving. He said, did you go out to see somebody that was unstable, that had some screws loose, that was weak, that his faith was weak? He said, oh, no, not John. Mm -mm. He said, or what did you go out? Did you go out to see Someone in soft clothes actually is interesting. That word soft actually uh, I mean, really alludes to being effeminate. He said, he said, what did you go out? Someone well-dressed, well-kept, 
someone with nice clothes that you thought you would go out to see that would be the spectacle. And boy, Jesus kind of slams and he says, those kind of soft clothes are in king's houses, not in the wilderness. So you didn't go out to see some girly man. You didn't go out to see some soft dude. You didn't go out to see some unstable guy. John was a man's man is what he was saying. But make no mistake, this was a strong guy I had leading out there. And, and, and as a matter of fact, when you see his description, soft clothes did not describe John. That's why people were a bit taken back by him. And this diet wasn't one that you would choose on any given day. Locusts and wild honey. First of all, the locusts are, okay, I'll have the wild honey, but you can keep the bugs. And he says to him, you didn't go out to see some unstable crazy man, or you didn't go out to see some fine, well-dressed, well-kept guy. What you went out to see, he said, a prophet? He says, yes, and more. He said, so yes, I am honoring John as a prophet, but not only just a prophet, the greatest, because he says, now he goes, and there was no one that has arisen, and that arisen, that word means there is no prophet that has come to power and influence that I have raised up, that's what was being said, that is born of woman, that a human, that he said, that was greater than John. John is the greatest of all the prophets. What you are seeing is an ending of an era. Because what Jesus was telling him is that the era of the prophets is ending with John. And he is the greatest of all the prophets that have come before him. Why? Because of his mission. See, all the prophets talked about and looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. John was the only one whose only life mission was to introduce him. Can you imagine if your only mission in life was to be the opening act for someone? That's all. John's whole life mission was to open for Jesus. And after that, John was to sit down and let Jesus be seen. I think today we can take some lesson from that. For many of us, people can't see Jesus because we are still so busy trying to... Can you just introduce me and sit down? Can you, can, you, can you let somebody know who I am and get out the way? You ever had that person that wants to introduce you to something good, but then they keep talking about themselves the whole time, and you say, can I enjoy this? Can you just be quiet? See, the issue here is John was the greatest because he got to be the one to bring about the culmination and the fulfillment of prophecy. All of what the prophets spoke about, John was now introducing. And he's greatest because of that. But then Jesus says something, the, the, the era of the prophets, because he, he said the era of the prophets. And we see later in the verse, he says it. He says that, 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 that all the law and the prophets really came up to John. They prophesied until John. When you see the scripture, they prophesied until. And I'm not a great English guy. Good enough to know that until means it stops 
with ever the until is. Until John, they prophesied, which means after John, there were no more needed. And so Jesus is standing there, but he says something. John's mission was, was accomplished, and John is considered great from the prophetic era. But he says, and he gets into the greatness of the kingdom after the first point, the significance of John. The, the, the greatness of the kingdom is he says, yet the least in the kingdom, and that word least is the most insignificant, unrecognized, unheralded person in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Understand what he just said. Every last one of us that belongs in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Wow. That's huge. When you look at John got to physically introduce Jesus. He got to look him eye to eye. As a matter of fact, he got to baptize him. And then he got to hear and see firsthand all of who Jesus was. And Jesus honored him personally, called out his name. He said, there was no one before you born on this planet, John, that is greater than you. But I got to tell you something. Everyone born after you that is a part of this kingdom is greater than you are. You see what God has given us to be a part of his kingdom? Well, why is he greater? Why are we greater? Yes, John got to see the introduction of the kingdom, but you and I are getting to experience what the kingdom really is. At least that's what God intends, because when Jesus died and was risen, and he said, it is finished, and it's finished, and that the kingdom now can begin and spreads, and that Christ lives in us. He's not just next to us, and he transforms us so that we look more and more like him. John didn't experience that. And so what you have today and the fact that you can sit down and come before the Father and talk personally and you can have your private devotional time, you can get into the word, you can be changed daily, your life can be changed, you can be one person this year and next year be someone totally stronger in the faith and God can be using you in tremendous ways. John couldn't do that. You leading people to the faith and demonstrating to people why Jesus is real. John couldn't do that. And see, for those who want to take your faith lightly, God says you are greater than the greatest prophet when you are in the kingdom. Wow. And not because you're great. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. He's ushered in the kingdom. And so he gives the greatness of the kingdom. This is whom, verse 10, this is whom for John, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. But then he says, halfway through 11, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But then he goes into the context of the kingdom. The greatness of the kingdom is that the very least and most insignificant, when you think you don't count, you think you don't matter, you think it's nothing, God says you don't even realize the greatness that I've bestowed on you. Not that you can go out and brag, but you can go out and demonstrate. 
And then he comes and he makes a statement that, boy, people have been so confused. I was confused about it for years to begin to look at it closely. And there's a verse that has been misused so much. And that's that verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And we go like, what? What on earth does that mean? First of all, he understands, look at the era. The kingdom era is ushered in when John is announcing Christ at the end. Because it says, from the time of John the Baptist until now. So Jesus sets the brackets. The brackets are the beginning of the kingdom that is now ushered in because John is announcing it. And at this point, he says, the kingdom has suffered violence. As a matter of fact, that statement was just being witnessed. The kingdom of God is growing. It is here, although not fully here. It is here. It is dawning. And it says it has taken on. It has suffered violence. Sure, it has. One of the members of the kingdom, and many theologians include John in this, is sitting in prison suffering violence for proclaiming the kingdom. Didn't he do that? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so as he now proclaims that, he is now taking on the violence from the world. What Jesus is preparing us, he says, even though my kingdom has arrived and is growing, don't be mistaken by the fact of the violence that is happening against it, that it's an invalid and weak kingdom. That's what John was doing. John was like, whoa, hold on a second. I thought this was the kingdom of God. This should not be happening. God says, I'm going to let it happen. The kingdom of God will suffer violence. And the problem is we look at that violence. There are several views on that, but we look at that violence and we think the ones that are taking the violence are the ones that are giving the violence, and they're not. When it says the kingdom of God is suffering violence, yes, it is being attacked. And it is being attacked by violent people. What was Jesus couching for us? He's saying to us, look, guys, look. Just because you're a king's kid, just because you're part of the kingdom of God does not mean you will not face opposition nor, my, um, nor violence. Does not mean that. And it doesn't invalidate. It doesn't make it weak. The kingdom of God remains strong. The plan remains on track. God is doing exactly as he should, even though we are losing some people to violence. And see, what does that prepare you for? Boy, when I look at my brothers and sisters in the Middle East and when they're being killed for their faith, I'm just reading something in China about how they just seized one of the churches and destroyed it. And, and, and more of that is ramping up. The government can come in and just take it. I know, and, 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 and that how governments can now choose not to let people meet or it is, or, or it is a crime to gather. The kingdom is suffering violence. And those who attack it, the violent people that are out there are attacking it. And it seems like they are winning. But God says, do not let that confuse you for one moment. Don't let what you see around you confuse you and think for a moment that they're winning. He says, they're not. 
And he ends it with talking about the Elijah-type ministry of John. But then what I like, the second part of the context of the kingdom, he says, understand that it's couched in violence. The last part we're going to look at today in verse 12 is couched in the society. See, they were, they were judging, they were giving some sort of summary on Jesus's and John's ministry. Jesus knew that. So he turns the tables. You guys are feeling some sort of way about John. But let me ask a question of you. He says, what shall I compare you to? See, now they were, Jesus came back. Remember, he can understand and read the hearts of men. He said, what did you go out to see? And he was now talking to them about what they were comparing John to. You thought he was some reed shaken in the wind. You thought he, was, he should have been some nice dude in nice clothes. He said, no, 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 let me turn the tables. He says, now, what do I compare this society, this generation to? He says, let me tell you what I'll compare it to. I'll compare it to spoiled brat children playing in the play area. That's exactly what this is. When he says children calling out to their playmates, in their playground, in the marketplace, because the marketplace was where children played back then. And he says, we played a dance for you and you didn't dance. In other words, they were mad that they didn't play the funeral or wedding game. He says, we, didn't, we played a wedding song and you didn't celebrate. And we played a funeral song and you weren't sad with us. You didn't, you didn't live up to our expectations. You didn't dance with us. You didn't do what we wanted, so we're mad. You say, well, what does that mean? He said, Jesus explains it. He says later, he says, look, John came preaching, in essence, judgment. John came excluding himself, and you says he's a madman. He has a demon. He says, that, you know what? It doesn't take all that. And, 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 and why you got to exclude yourself from all that? You don't need to do all that. And he said, I came eating and drinking with tax collectors, and you call me a drunkard. You call John too holy. You call me not holy enough. He says, there's no satisfying you. He says, so I'm not trying to live up to your expectations, and neither should we. He says, understand, John came preaching judgment, but the kingdom of God isn't just all about judgment. John wanted judgment, which is why he asked that question, are you the Messiah or should we expect another? Because he wanted Jesus to judge, judge the Roman oppressors, judge those Jewish people who were living wrong. John wanted judgment. And when Jesus wasn't judging the way John thought he should be, John had issue. But Jesus said, John, what you don't understand, instead of looking for more judgment, what I want you to look for is salvation. And that's what he says for you and I. Yeah, I know we want judgment for our communities and our societies. We do. We want God to deal with those that are dealing unjustly with our neighborhoods and our societies. And God says to us, is that all you want is judgment? He says, do you want salvation more? Nah, God, I don't want them to be saved. Nah, I don't want them to be saved. Mm -mm, no. Jesus is saying to him, listen and understand well. Although John preached judgment, there is room for salvation. And although Jesus dealt with sinners, 
He had expectations for them. He didn't just go along with their lifestyle and let them live however. No, he wasn't a drunkard. No, he wasn't a gluttony. In other words, he wasn't this undisciplined guy who came along and let people live as they want. And John was this legalistic dude who all he wanted was people to be punished. He said, you misunderstood both of my ministries. John called you to repentance because y'all are sinners. I realized you were sinners and tried to bring and, 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 and bringing salvation to you. Both of their ministries complemented one another, and Jesus wanted them to know that. And our ministries today should be both that which we stand out against sin, but we also meet with and get close to the sinner. And if our ministry doesn't, doesn't look like both John and Jesus did at this time, we're missing it. You stand up against sin. You don't... You, you, you hold that line, but we're not there just to punish people and to beat them in the ground. But also, I'm not there just to let you go, oh, all is good. Don't worry. Be happy. Jesus loves you. You ain't got to worry about a thing in the world. No, you better worry. And he balances it out for us. The issue becomes, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear. Let them hear what I'm saying. The ministry of John was valid and significant so that the ministry of Jesus could be seen for exactly what it was. Yes, we do preach against sin, but we love the sinner because that's who we were once, and that's who Jesus came for. In essence, Jesus said, John, judgment will come in due time. But Jesus says this, I did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. What typifies us? What are we on mission for? Are we okay with God ending the mission at any time? Oh, I like you want to live a long life, whatever long was. And if there's any way that I can live the fruitful life that my... my, 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 my my grandmother lived. I spoke to her one day, and she had taught, she had taught Sunday school for 60 years. Wow. 60 years. <clears throat> and I had a conversation with her one time because we, we can just, she remembered things better than I did. I taught for 60 years, she said, but I had to stop. She used to call me son. Son, I had to stop. I was like, why'd you stop, Grandma? She said, because them younger folks would never teach if I didn't get out the way. <laughs> just said the wisdom of this woman. Amen. And all the way unto it, she would get mad sometimes because they had some down in this little country church, they had some, they had some preachers that she got fed up with. I came in there one time to preach, and she said, He makes me so mad. He can't preach the word. I was like, Grandma, ease up on him. <laughs> she said, He needs to preach that word. I was like, my goodness. But you know what? What I see was a woman on mission. I see a woman who, when her life closed out, she grabbed my hand and said, I'm ready to go. And I say that for us today. Are we living on mission? Do we even know what the mission is? And if we do, are we living it out? Or are we busy complaining to the Lord why everything is not going my way? I said in the beginning that sometimes 
We think if one thing is going well, everything should go well. Really, is it? The only thing you and I need to know is that we're on the right mission. That we're on the right mission. Had a young guy years ago. I mean, actually, old guy. I'm in with this. He said he was a corporate guy climbing the ladder. And you've probably heard this before. He said, I was climbing the ladder of success only to find out that my ladder was leaning against the wrong building. And he said it was at that point that he came to Christ. And there's some major things that changed in his life. He ended up starting a nonprofit ministry that worked with people in the inner city. But he said that came about because I came to Christ. I was climbing high. I had the wrong mission. What's your mission? And if there's something that's not going in your life right, are you mad at Christ or are you still staying with the mission? For you and I today, if the mission is right, the ending will be right. And if we have the right mission and we're in the hands of Christ, what you worried about? What you worried about? God's got you. He knows exactly where you are. Just make sure you stick with the mission. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that we can be a part of your great kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, that allows us to see and to hear and to understand, oh God, who you are, what you've done. Lord, I thank you today, oh God, that we get the opportunity to hear your words, to read them, to study them so that we may know how we are to respond, what the mission is. And our mission is, Lord, to introduce you to the people in this world, to celebrate you, to become more like you, so that we can demonstrate you. Father, I pray that we would not forget that, and that as things are not going as we want them, I pray that it would not derail us from the mission. But, Father, instead, we would dig in, and we would not, as last week we learned, we would not be offended by you. Father, we commit ourselves to you. Work on the hearts today of the people in here. In Christ's name, amen. As you remain prayerful, we're going to end in just a moment. I know we went long as we're going to, we're going to end in...